Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Well, I hope you made a new friend. Stuart here from Canterbury can testify that I said those exact sentences hundreds of times in Canterbury and everyone always hated me for it. But there you go. Um, yeah, you still do it. Yeah, you still do it. There you go. Um, yes, yeah, so it's wonderful to be together. Grab your Bibles. Genesis 12 is where we're going. If you don't have a, a Bible... Uh, you can use your phone, of course. No shame here in using your phone. We're old-fashioned. We do like paper Bibles as well. And there's a few church Bibles that are scattered around uh, that you can, you can turn to. And in fact, if you do not have a Bible, take that Bible. It's our, it's our small gift to you. But as I mentioned, normally uh, we are working our way through the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to come a little bit closer. And... Um, as we were going through Mark, I, and next week Robbie will be teaching from our next section in Mark. But I, I just noticed some real parallels, um, actually, from the very beginning of the Bible. And one of the things about the Christian faith and the Bible is that it, it beautifully hangs together. Amen? Amen. It's, a, it's this golden thread, these amazing themes that are right from the beginning, right to the end. So today we're going to have some fun by looking at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 12. And if you don't know kind of um, what's happened, have some water. I I haven't got COVID, don't worry, I'm COVID negative, (laughs) but I have the cough. Um, I'll have a a sweet, thank you, any chance to have candy, thank you very much. (laughs) Oh, you look after me, thank you. Um, Anyway, this feels like Donut Day, doesn't it? Right, it's great. We're going to have so much discussion today. The way we so we've been house church for a long time, and we love house church. But it just in the end, we knew it was right for us just to make that little step out. That one of the great things about this space is it kind of feels like a big living room, right? Which is actually our intent. We didn't want it to go churchy, religious, formal. We want it to be a place where even if it's your first Sunday, you think actually I can I can connect in. And I can get my voice in the room and I can be part of this. So that's why we're very excited about this particular space. But the way we like to open the Bible, I'm not just going to talk at you for 40 minutes, don't worry. We're going to do this together. I will talk for a little while. I will monologue. Um, But if you don't know much about the Bible, Genesis 12 is a really important part of it. I mean, it's all important. But what's happened in Genesis 1, 2 and 3, who can tell me... God made everything good, and then what happened? Sin. And it talks about the, the fall, things going wrong. This whole universe, not just humans, get infected with this, the worst disaster that's ever happened. I mean, there's disasters all the time. But theologically, the greatest disaster that's ever hit planet Earth is this thing called sin, which has infected every, everything, every part of us. No longer lives for the glory of God, but we live for the glory of Tom. And, and if God was just a God of justice, right, or Herman, if God was just a God of justice, the Bible would be very, very, I need a, a third table. Um, 
There's so many things I need. Um, if, if, if God was just a God of justice, that is how thin your Bible would be, right? He made everything. We mucked it up. Sin came to the world. God judged. The very chunkiness of your Bible screams grace. Hallelujah. So if you're feeling rubbish one day and you're oh, the Bible's hard, just look at the chunkiness and think every page is God saying, well, I'm not just going to judge them. I'm going to come in grace. Thank you, This is getting ridiculous. But and there we go. So the chunkiness of your Bible. Genesis 12 is where God picks uh, an, an older man and an older woman, and that's important, and he speaks to them. These, these pagan, sun-worshipping men and women, pretty normal, Abraham and Sarai. And in that moment, he begins the rescue. He begins the rescue of planet Earth. And ultimately, a descendant of them will be born, whose name is... Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, you can't escape when it's this small. Um, <laughs> Jesus, who would finally bring restitution and reconciliation to planet Earth. But the rescue begins in Genesis 12, really, between, uh, and, and the beginnings of God's promises to the people of Israel. So who would like to read for me, nice and loud, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 7. Genesis 12, 1 to 7. Rain, see that hand, that tiny hand. Go. Oh, just to say, we're going to have some fun today. Listen up, because one of you is going to retell this story live right after Rain's done it. So this is the key with storytelling. As she is reading it, picture it. Okay, so picture it. Picture it. Think about what she's saying. Uh, because the way that you tell a story is through seeing it in your mind, okay? So this is a new thing we're going to try, um, and I think it's going to be fun. So go, Ray. The reason we do this is because, as you and I both all know, humans do not learn just by listening to monologue, right? We all know that there's a lots of different ways we need to be involved. So the learning experience needs to be interactive. Okay, let's start with this, this group at the back. Any thoughts about what this tells us about God? Yeah, well, we had uh, the word... Five of us, and we have five different thoughts. Okay. Great thoughts about God, uh, based on the scripture. Uh, one was, uh, God is a God who leads. Yes. He was wow. leading Abraham. Beautiful. To a place. Um, we have one that God is the God who speaks and mm. talks. He says, he says here, the Lord said. Yes. So he's wow. He speaks. Yes. He talks to his people. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we have a God who uh, initiates. Initiates. Mm. There's a, um, two words here repeated. I will. Right. I will. Wow. I will. So he's an initiator. Mm. And um, uh, generosity. Generosity. Because uh-huh. God gives right. blessings. And he, he provides a place. And, um, and also, we saw that God is a just God. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing about that is, is he's a just God. You want to be in his team, 
because he's not just a God who curses and blesses, yeah. or blesses and curses. Yes. But it says on verse three that he blesses those who bless you, right? And he curses those who curses you. Wow. So the people are involved, <clears throat> and God, if you're in God's team, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you, you think of the time when Jesus says to Saul, doesn't he? Why are you persecuting me? Right. And you're like, what? Because Jesus was pers- uh, Saul was persecuting his people. Perfect. So, I love that. Wow, five fantastic points, guys. Anything to add from from this side? God didn't call out Abraham to create a whole new group of people who would become the Jewish people because there was something uh, righteous about those people. He created yes. a whole distinct group of people that he was going to manifest himself. In the flesh, as a Messiah, later on, yeah. and he started with Abraham, who mm-hmm. had some faith, yeah. and he evolved that into becoming a Messiah. Yes. Through that distinct group. Yes. And because the Messiah was going to come through that distinct group, he was going to bless everybody that blessed yeah. that group and bless yeah. Israel, and that's why Israel will never be destroyed, because God yeah. put his mark. Not because of people, because anything better good or bad people. It's just that God was Brilliant. going to manifest himself through a group of people. We're not the people Abraham left behind in Haran. No. It was this distinct group he was yeah. creating. Abraham was the first of what would became the Wonderful. But Abraham is also the father of other religions too. Or, yeah. You know, the, uh, mm-hmm. Seven religions. So it's very big and very powerful that yeah. God was redeeming man from sin. Yes. Starting the process to bring Describe me now. And he talks to people. Yes. He does. And we will dive into that even more. But brilliant team, God focused. Thank you. How about this guy? You guys, this side. Any thoughts about what does this tell us about people? Um, that God might call us, it seems like he calls people. <coughs> Sometimes out from where they were born, where yeah. they're from, yeah. even though that might seem really crazy, mm-hmm. that they were born yeah. different from where they know the culture, and yeah. um, he calls them into something different for a purpose. Yes. Yeah, it's great. Any others? What was your point, Dace? Uh, I said that. Um, Nice. Yeah, I've heard it said that obedience is God's love language. And I think one of the greatest differences, if I may be so bold, that keeps coming up with guys I'm reading and talking to is the the Western church generally is about information, which is more information, more information. And in the global south and east where the church is exploding, it's actually about information and obedience it's not just endless theology it's what you actually do you obey which is actually partly why even the way we're looking at the word is changing it's not just i need more information it's actually as you say dates what does god want me to do with this how do i actually take a next step this week well i want to just oh yeah of course um if you notice the verses it says 
God says, I like to give, or I like to bless, 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 bless. I like to give, give, give. So what I saw was, was to receive. Yeah. To receive. To receive. Mm -hmm. So uh, so in conjunction with what John was saying, yeah. saying give, yeah. God likes yeah. to give. Like, and as people, it's, okay, I receive, I receive, I receive. So That's wonderful. Receive, uh, as people, just like uh, God gave his son, mm -hmm. receive Christ. <laughs> yes. So we're yeah. meant to receive. Yes. And we're going to finish our time in a little while by receiving communion. And uh, Tim challenged us a little while ago about our language with that. He was like, it's not so much taking, it's receiving. Which is beautiful, actually. I think, yeah, that's so true. And, I, and isn't it tragic that, honestly, most people probably in SF don't realise that Christianity is about a God who gives. Yes. They think it's about, it's like, oh, yeah, well, religion is like doing stuff for God. It's a ladder thing. Whereas we're a people of the cross. Amen. God who came down, like C.S. Lewis, when asked what's the difference between Christianity and every other religion, he straight away said, it's grace. Every other religion is about what you do for God, and Christianity is what God has done for you. <laughs> Hallelujah! I know, I know we all need to hear that. I need to hear that every hour, because I get back into what I've got to do for God. It's beautiful. And even, in fact, as we look at just a couple of things I want to highlight, it's a really helpful reminder, actually, because the, the, the things that stood out to me... Um, <clears throat> are quite challenging, actually, when I look at this. They're encouraging, but also challenging. And um, it's good for us to have the grace message ringing in our ears as we look at these two principles. When I looked at this, um, I, I had this thought, that you think about this beautiful, amazing older couple. I love the fact that they, were, they weren't young and sort of in their prime. They were kind of physically actually in that place of vulnerability and, and slight fragility. That's deliberate. Weakness is, you know, the currency of the gospel. It's about weakness, which we have to keep learning. And I think in some ways you could say this passage is really about two main principles that are exactly relevant to us even thousands of years later. That to follow the God of the Bible, to follow Yahweh, to follow Yeshua, Jesus in some senses, is really about these two great principles again and again. It's kind of about a kind of leaving, and it's actually about a kind of arriving. That just as for Abraham and Sarai, when you look at this story, you think, yeah, for them, it was a lot about this leaving moment, but also understanding that even when they arrived, things were not as they seemed. Those two principles were not just unique for Abraham and Sarai. They're actually incredibly relevant for us, even now, 3,000 years later. Why? Because it's the same God. So let's just look at those two, those two kind of um, activities or processes that I think, to be honest with you, often get forgotten. We think about becoming a Christian is like, I now believe this thing, which is true. But for Abraham and Sarai, the immediate thing was, number one, you need to leave, right? There was an actual thing they actually had to do. It wasn't enough for them to go, I believe in God. What does it mean to be a Christian? Oh, I believe in God. Well, fine. James says, even the demons believe and shudder, right? So it's not about just actually what you believe, if I may say that. Don't stone the heretic. It does matter what you think, okay? But it's actually about what you do with that belief you have to actually 
do stuff to follow a God who is still walking through the garden. Amen? Like Jesus was on the move. He wasn't a static God. He's not a static God now. So you just look at, look at this first principle. God, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and then your people. Okay, so it's getting even more personal. And your father's household. Do you notice those three elements? Go from your land, from your father's household. As, as British people who have left, you know, it's the obvious illustration. I'm sorry, it's got to come. Uh, as British people who have left the UK and we love it here and we know God wants us here. But it suddenly becomes this vivid picture of the Christian life is about a kind of leaving. Look, it says, verse 4, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him, his nephew. Abram was 75 years. When he set out from Haran, he took his wife and all their possessions. There's this incredibly kind of moving picture, this vulnerable picture of this older gentleman and his wife he says he went as the Lord told him. Do you notice that? He, you know, he didn't say, oh, okay, my love, God's spoken to me, so I'm going to go and scout out the land. You stay here, I'll just test the waters. Yeah. Abraham, just the whole lot. It's like his wife, his nephew, the whole thing. They're like, you can imagine the conversations he probably had with his, you know, with his neighbours and his friends. And they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, we are in. And for us to be in, in this Christian faith, means we are actually, there's a risk we are taking. We're not playing it safe, right? There's an actual, geographic, costly, physical, earthly, ethnic cost to what this man and his wife did. It's amazing. And of course, you know, they've got these amazing promises, you know, ringing in their ears. I picture them kind of excited, where God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you, etc., But I just want us to think about this for a moment. That just as for Abraham and Sarai, the Christian life really does involve a kind of leaving. So you can't actually get out of the blocks without a kind of leaving. Um, You think about Peter, James and John, fishermen. For them to follow Jesus, what do they have to do? They have to leave their nets. You think about Saul, Paul who's persecuting, he has his old life of strength and careerism, and then God knocks him off his horse, and he's like, it's either me or your career. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no, you can't have your, your cake and eat it. You've got to choose. You think about David. David's got this wonderful life of obscurity. He's a poet. Ding, and, you know, we're shepherding, just probably loving. He's the youngest brother. He's probably not some big alpha male. He's this sensitive guy who likes his own space, I reckon. He's a poet, yeah? The poets I know are like that. They don't want to lead a big CEO. They're often like, I like my own space, man. You know? And God says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to leave that. If I was to ask for a show of hands, any here who are Christians, to say, wouldn't it be true that when you think back in your life, when you decided to follow Christ, there was a kind of leaving, a real, it's like a real thing. You know, it's not just some sort of metaphor. There's a cost. And I just think we make it so easy, too easy, to make a profession for Christ. I was at a a conference recently in Cyprus, and most of those who were speaking were from either Ukraine, Russia, um, 
China, uh, Pakistan, Indonesia, the Middle East, Latin America, uh, Nigeria, and what everyone, basically everyone was talking about global persecution. And yet the joy in the room was absolutely palpable. And I was just, I was just in, the, in the presence of giants. You know, these men and women who are ready to give their life up. One guy, 30, who leads a group of churches in Pakistan, he's 30, and he's like, I am ready to die. I just, hope, I just don't want my kids to die for their faith just yet. You know? And he wasn't, right? He was just like, yeah, that's, I'm ready. I know I'm following the Lord. And for him to follow Jesus means he's leaving security. He's leaving what his flesh wants. And for us in the West, we just forget this, right? We, oh, I became a Christian and maybe that, not that much actually changed. Things are changing all the time. So the Global South Church is the one that's leading the charge now more and more. And for many of us in the West who have a very comfortable life, we're having to learn actually from the giants who are, who are saying, you know, we have a real enemy and he really, he does, he is the prince of the power of this world. And to follow Jesus, there's a cost. There's a real cost. My big brother Stan stood in this spot two weeks ago, three weeks ago, praise God, come to faith. He's 50. Everyone was rejoicing, but he was talking about the cost. His publisher has now abandoned him because he's now a Christian. Many of his followers in the New Age world have now just stepped back from him because he's a Christian. So let me ask you this question. What might be an area in your life that God is calling you to leave? Maybe it's control. Maybe it's uh, the land of approval. Maybe it's Maybe there's a kind of Holy Spirit reminder that you need to leave even expectations of certain areas of your life. Just things that ultimately you didn't realise you were still kind of holding on to. When I became a Christian, you know, the first thing was like I needed to leave my expectations of of having a girlfriend, to be honest with you. Uh, The summer I became a Christian, suddenly three very pretty non-Christian women all mysteriously wanted to go out with me. Oh, how interesting. If that, yeah, that didn't normally happen, okay? I was like, how interesting. And I felt the Lord say, yes, you need, you, I need you to be single for a while, you know? And I had to leave for many years that kind of hope of an immediate, satisfying relationship. What might it be in your life now? Notice, for these guys... It's interesting. They were in a place called Ur. Ur. They were meant to go to a place called Canaan. Right, Canaan. And where were they at the moment that God speaks to them? They were in Haran. So they were, rather than doing this, going to Canaan, they were actually doing this. And they had settled in like halfway Haran. It's so interesting. God had spoken to them about leaving Already, this is the second time that God had said to them, you must leave, you must leave. And what does that tell us? You can, you can visualise it. They were here, God wanted them here, and they were kind of going, and then they got stuck. And you can imagine God almost like, oh, hi guys, good to see you again. Um, how come you're here? <laughs> Remember, this isn't actually where I told you to go. So we rejoice that they have been amazingly brave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They're heroes. They've... This, this amazing couple have left, but they've actually got stuck halfway. 
which is this incredibly vivid picture for us even today, that this life of leaving, leaving the things that we want to hold on to, requires a kind of ongoing, um, repeated decision to do it. It's very easy to get stuck in halfway around. And I wonder if any of you here today, even as I'm saying this, you're like, oh, well, I did give up my, my secret life of doing that thing that I love doing, but I've kind of not really quite got through to the promised land. I'm still kind of going back, if, if, if I'm honest. You know, I'm, I'm making breakthrough to some degree, but even as you say this, Tom, I, I kind of feel like I've kind of got stuck in that place again. So today's an invitation, if you know Jesus, for, 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 for God to just kind of search our hearts a little bit and say, are there things, expectations, hopes, things that you, you know, I love Jesus, but I really also love this thing. I love this role. I love this, this way that things work. And actually to follow Jesus, you know, it says, naked we came from our mother's womb, naked we shall return. There is always this ongoing saying, you know, it's time to leave. I think about me, I, I have to leave the land of individualism. Yeah? That it's all about me. Anyone in America resonate? Uh, yeah, every hand should be up. Oh my gosh, like, it's all about me. No! As a Christian, I've got to leave that. Ah, but it's so deep in me. What about the other one? The double-headed monster of individualism and, begin to see, consumerism. Right? I come to get. No, no, the Christian message is now I'm part of God's global family. It's not just about me. It's about us. It's not just me. It's we. Hallelujah. It's, it's, it's his body. I mean, and, and the church is being ravaged at the moment by Christians who are just individualistic. Hope, oh, well, yeah, and, and consumeristic. I'll come if it suits my needs. And Jesus is like, what? I died for a people and I didn't come to consume. I came to give. So, man, this is like, this is, this is a, the poison of the world we live in, if I'm honest. It's huge. You have to leave individualism every day. And we have to leave a kind of consumerism, which we, you know, God does give us, thank God. He is a blessing God. But it, he blesses us so that we can be a blessing, not just so we get enormous, you know, have to be rolled around because we're so blessed. We're just big roundies. You know, God wants us to be those who, who give. So what are the... <laughs> What are the things in your life? And, and this is the question I also want to ask, is how does Abraham do it? Anyone know how Abraham actually was someone who could leave so much and be so kind of radical? This guy, he never went back to his homeland, it seems. The answer is in Hebrews 11. You probably know this passage. Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verse 8. How did, how did he actually do it? How do we give up the things that are so deep in us? How do you give up the expectation? I mean, I remember when I became a Christian, I was like, yeah, yeah I think I'm all right with like, you know, following Jesus. Little did I know it would be this constant giving up and leaving of things. You know, I wanted just to go and earn a lot of money in London. And then the pastor says, hey, why don't you do an internship? With the co-? You know, and I'm like, oh, okay, I probably should. And so I had to leave, you know, shaping a career just in my own strength or in my own with my own metrics I had to leave many many things and we still do 
The way that the Bible tells us that Abraham and Sarah did it is this. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. There it is. There's the key. There's the key. Did you see it? The way that you leave is by looking forward. Can we say that together? One, two, three. The way that you leave is by looking forward. This is massive. This is massive. This is ma- I am like, I think I'm like that. I'm not like that. I don't look ahead. I don't have a theology of the next life. Not really. It's not in my bones. I kind of vaguely think about it. What I think about is now when I think about lunch and I think about, you know, this last week. You know, anyone here like Google Photos? I love Google Photos. If you know what Google Photos is, it's this thing that you store all your Google Photos, your photos and your videos from your last 50 years or whatever. And as a family, we like nothing more than Google Photos when we go back and we look back when Daisy was seven or Poppy was two, and I was a little younger. And we look at it, and we love it, and it's a highlight, and we're crying, and oh, I love those, oh, wonderful. And there's nothing wrong exactly with that, but the Christian faith is actually fundamentally a faith that doesn't just look back. It radically looks forward. The only way you and I are ever going to leave comfort, or control, or power, or approval, and leave them, not just once, but again, and again, and again, is if you are living for the next life. He left the wonderful city of Haran and Ur, which he probably really, really loved. I don't know much about them. Because somehow in this older couple's heart, it says there was like a miracle happening. It wasn't just that they tried hard. They were looking forward. They were actually ready to die. They were prepared in their bodies, in their beings, in their minds... Not just with a theology of heaven. They could see it. They could taste it. They could feel it. It was like in them. Now, if you're tuning out right now, I want to don't let your mind wander. Because this is like one of the greatest deficits in the Western church. Is that we think, oh, I'll think about that one day. But Tom, I'm pretty young. You don't know when your life is going to end. And the great way that the Apostle Paul shaped the theology of the, new, of, the, of, the, of the early church was through an eschatological f- framework. You read it. He, the way that in Corinthians, for example, he talks about singleness. He says, I wish everyone was single. It's not a curse. Stop thinking it's a curse. If you have to get married, okay, get married. It's actually a gift. I wish everyone was like me. And he says, don't you realise in heaven there'll be no marriage? Now, I love family. I love my wife. But theologically, Paul, if he was here, he would get in our grill and say, don't over push family, church. Because in heaven there is going to be no marriage. So actually, you're going to be, it's just going to be like angels. Now, that is, we, we hear that, we go, what? I don't, that's so alien to me. That's how Paul could be living in the present because he was looking forward to a city whose architect and builder was God. That's how he could be single and not feel like a victim. And think, well, I'm just going to live for myself then. Because I'm entitled. Because God hasn't given me a... No, no. Paul didn't see himself like that. He says, for example, in the same book, he says, they get, they're, they're tempted in Corinthians to, uh, to, to sue each other. You know that? They were going to sue each other. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Just let it go. Who cares if everyone takes all your stuff? 
Just, and he says to them this crazy line, don't you realise in heaven you're going to be judging angels? What? No, I didn't know that, Paul. Who the heck knows that? You read it, 1 Corinthians 7. He just says, don't you... And so, he's just saying, look, don't cling to stuff. Don't cling to your house or your clothes. It's all going to go. And in heaven, you're going to be dressed in glory in a way that will pa- make this life pale. Just let it go. You're going to be even judging angels. So anyway, the way that we can leave is through looking forwards. But I must quickly hurry on to my second point, which is the second we see, see here is not the Christian life is just about leaving. It's also about a kind of redefining of arriving. Because you see, what happens here, look with me back in the, in the text. It's an amazing, um, kind of surprising bit of the story that we've looked at. But I just want to draw our attention to it before we, we, we finish. It says uh, in verse 5, and they arrived there. Okay? So they push through halfway Haran. They get everything up again. And they go again. I don't know if they were arguing on the way. I don't know if Abraham liked setting up tents. If he was like me, he didn't. He was probably grumpy about it. I have my wonderful villa back in Ur. And then we've got a great place in in Haran. And now, because of this God, I'm living in tents. And my kids are like, hey, this life is rubbish, mum and dad. We had it sweet back in Ur with our enormous house. How come we're in this rubbish tent now? But he's thinking, no, the memory I want to give them is more important than the money. And the, and, and, and the stability of just staying put and ignoring God. And it, it says that he, they arrived there and Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. And at that time, the, the Canaanites were in the land. And if you know a little bit about the, um, the geography of Israel, that spot, the, the tree of Moreh at Shechem, is in the middle. So if he came down from Haran, I don't know if this happened, but I can imagine, you know, they've paid a huge price. They've left everything twice. And all they've got is these promises. And I'm sure there were many tense moments in their, in their marriage. They were setting up the tents again and again. <clears throat> one of them day, I'm sure one day one of them was sad and the other was happy. And then the other day it probably reversed, like often in marriage. But they kept going. And it's interesting, he says, they travelled through the land until they got to Shechem. It's almost like they've got to the land and they think, well, at least, you know, we've, we've left everything. This Christian life is about leaving. We've done it. Why the heck are these incredibly intimidating warrior people, the Canaanites, still in the land? And you can imagine when they first got to the, the northern bit, they, they saw the Canaanites and they kept going. Maybe, maybe God's going to give us a bit here. You know, and, and a bit going, and, and a bit further, and a bit further, and a further, until eventually they're right in the middle of the land, and it dawns on them, oh, these Canaanites are literally still here. So think about this. The Christian life is not just about leaving. Here's the real twist, and it's true. Even when you do obey God, and you are brave, and you step out, even then... Often, the place God takes you is not quite what you would expect. Isn't that true? Isn't it true if you actually say, all right, let's do this, Lord. Let's step out in this area and I'm going to leave this thing behind. And then 
you step into, for example, you get married. You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go for this. I'm going to get married. And at first you think, yeah, this is going to be great. And then actually, a certain time into the marriage, you realise, oh, this, this isn't quite as easy and as, as, tr- as trouble-free as I thought it might be. And you've, you've, you've stepped out and you follow God. But actually, in that land, there are things that are difficult. The Canaanites were in the land. I mean, it's almost like you can imagine this, you know, Abraham and Sarai, they've got their whole extended family. They're exhausted. You know, it's a bit like when you go on vacation with your big family or then you've got a family and you, you get to the airport and you get through security and it's exhausting and it's stressful and if you're anything like me, you turn into a bit of a monster. But you get there and eventually there's your seats and to your horror, all your seats are filled with strangers sitting there confident, bold as brass, there they are. And you're like, what is, what's going on? We stepped out, we got here, and there's these people in the land. And so we have this, this, this principle here that I don't want us to, leave, to, to, to lose. Some of you, listen, you have actually really followed God in your own private realm. You've, you've left how things were and you've stepped out Maybe you physically left. Maybe you came to be part of this church plant. Or maybe you, you left a previous job and you stepped into a new job. Or you left previous relationships that actually weren't great. And you, you, you said, okay, Lord, I, I recognise I need to keep following you and there's a leaving process. But even in that place you are now, if you're honest, it's not like suddenly it's all pain-free. Actually, Often God in his sovereignty still allows what Paul talks about as his thorn. His thorn in his flesh. And here's the key. If you don't have a reference point for that, you can often misinterpret the difficulties and the challenges as either God abandoning you, or you just got it wrong, or there's something that you haven't understood. I mean, man... We, I know so many, in so many ways we feel like we've stepped out. Many of us in this room, we've, we've stepped out and believed God. And there's tremendous blessing. But amidst that blessing, there are very real challenges. Some of you have got new jobs that you've stepped out in. Or spouses who have new jobs. And they've gone for it. And they've taken a risk. And they've gone for it. But actually, even in that place, there are some Canaanites. There's some things that are difficult. So let me ask this question, are there any Canaanites, are there any things in your life that maybe, you know, deep down you'd love them to be gone, but actually ultimately are there? And maybe the Lord's wanting to help you reframe, to see it differently. Things that are difficult and painful. And what we see here, and where this will finish, is this extraordinary final couple of little things that happen. It says the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, what happens next? Verse 7. Does God take away the Canaanites? No. This is what God does. He sees that Abraham has stepped out. And he says to him, it says in verse 7, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And then the final verse or sentence and so Abraham built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is enormous. God doesn't take away the difficulty. But what he does do, he says, 
But here I am. He says to him, I know you want the pain to go. I get it. I see it. I know you want that difficulty to go. And God does sometimes remove the Canaanites. Hallelujah. He does sometimes give us a wide and spacious place. And suddenly we can really breathe and go, thank you, Lord, for this thing. But so often, so often, actually what he does is what he does with Abraham here. He appears to him. He actually gives him himself. I know you want that relationship. I get it. And maybe I'm going to give it to you. But what I'm actually going to give you to you is, is access to me in even more of a deeper way. I, I, know, I know you want that job and that situation to be resolved. And I get it. And I know you hate the anxiety because you, you, work is tense. And I get it. And you're like, oh, it's exhausting. When will it just become this stable you know, thing that feels like it's there. I get it. I get it, Tom. I get it, Tim. I get it, Josie. But actually, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you myself. This is why we pray. Amen? This is why we pray. Because, because although we always want God in his grace to bless us and to remove these things, invariably, this side of his return or, or, or our demise, there will be Canaanites in the land. And most of us are incredibly slow to realise they are deliberate. They are allowed. That God does allow things so that we are weakened and go. And, and look, finally, look, look, look at what um, Abraham does. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He doesn't say, God, I don't care that you're appearing. I'm exhausted. I've gone through this horrendous journey. Me and my wife, our relationship is a little frayed. You know, it's a little bit difficult. I just need the Canaanites to go. You know, that's what I'd say. I'm like, yeah, great. Hi, God. Great to see you. Mm, lovely presence of God. Wonderful. What I actually need is these things to go. Okay? He doesn't do that. And this is amazing because this guy is raw. He's raw to the Christian faith. He's just come out of a life of pagan sun worship. He does what you do. It's his way as a pagan sun worshipper of saying, I'm going to worship you despite the pain. Do you see? It's beautiful. He built an altar to God. And this, this is what I want to say. He is truly arriving. He is truly arriving in the eyes of heaven. When we can, despite worries, when we can still worship, even if no one else knows that that pain is in your life and you can do this, when you can still trust, despite the troubles that are still there, Heaven is saying, she's arriving. Externally, she looks like a failure in her own eyes. Shame is like biting at your legs. But in the eyes of heaven, God is celebrating. There's a true arrival. The world's definition of arriving is lots of money, get your, your, your retirement in place, retire early, you know, etc., etc. Be famous, be powerful. This guy is so fragile. He's on his own with just his little family in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing like physical, external to say he's in the right place. It's actually looking like a huge failure. Don't miss this. And yet the Bible is leading us to say, don't you understand that he, as he built that altar, as he worshipped God, despite all those things, when we can praise despite our pain. Amen. When we can worship despite our worries. When we trust despite our troubles. You know? When we can actually do that. I want to say to you, and, and many of you, the fact, sheer fact that you're here today. 
And you're choosing to come again and to trust the God of the Bible, despite those things that are difficult, those Canaanites in the land. I want you to know you are seen. You are seen, not mainly by me or us, but by God. It really matters. And he cheers you on. And he's incredibly proud of you. When you can say, you know, Lord, there's a heck of a lot of mystery in my life right now. (laughs) There really is. And I feel fragile. And I feel weak. And I don't feel impressive. Anyone here feel a tiny bit like that? Oh, just me then. Okay, all of us. We all feel that. And our flesh in the world wants to shame us and says, you haven't, you're a failure. And this says, no, no, no. Actually, when we can worship despite those worries and we can trust despite all those troubles, we, we are actually genuinely learning something huge in the Christian life. Seriously, it, an internal arriving despite apparent external failure. Man, I tell you, I have grown in this. I want to boast in God's work in me. I, am, I have suffered from so much shame in my life and I never knew it. So much shame which led me to try and perform all the time and just like inflate things and, you know, hustle. And I always had to feel powerful. And over the last few years, God has just humbled me, humbled me. He's still got a lot of work to do in that area. But I tell you, he humbles us so that we can stand in a place where you feel actually almost like a failure in some ways. And you can just say, but in the eyes of my father, I'm so important to him. I'm so important to him. I, I am arriving. Some of you, I want to say, well done. Seriously, well done that you are arriving in the eyes of heaven, even if externally it doesn't look very impressive. Man, the kingdom of God is different to the kingdom of this world. So I want to finish by one last question and then we're going to break bread. What, Tim, if we've got the question to come up, what are you going to do in response to today? You can just think about this where you are, just take a moment of silence. And I'm wanting to ask this question because although I, I want to do my best to try and stir emotions and give us a sense of, you know, God's work in our lives,